Father, we thank you for the ancient words, the words that were written by your Holy Spirit through the yieldedness of godly men, the words that were breathed out by you and preserved for us by your providence and by your power. These words that, though ancient, are living and powerful and sharp as any two-edged sword that examine our, our hearts, that, that um, show us what is right and what is wrong, that reveal you to us. I thank you for this specific revelation. You're speaking to us. And that's our prayer this morning. Simply that you will speak to us. We will hear what you would have us to hear. We trust you to do that. Make us willing listeners. In your name I pray. Amen. I encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me again to the book of Acts. We are picking up our study there. Uh, and we are, it's a good day to be talking about family. We've had a lot of emphasis, of course, on uh, evangelism and how it's our role and our duty and our responsibility to share the gospel. And that God saves, and that God saves is called in Scripture being born again many times. Jesus in John chapter 3 described it to Nicodemus as birth, as being becoming something we had not been, being born into the family of God. Now as we went through this passage of Scripture, we're going to review it again, but just a few verses at a time, because there's some truths here that I think is important for us to grasp as a family of faith, important for us to grasp as a church. First thing is just just remember that they are the first church. What is taking place in the book of Acts had never taken place before. Never taken place. Now we have them relating to the Holy Spirit in a brand new way. Rather than the Spirit coming and going, and the Spirit had been active. Please understand, the Spirit was active in creation. He was active throughout history. But rather than the Spirit coming and going and moving kind of uh, mysteriously as God directed, or obviously as the Spirit of God determined to move to accomplish the Father's will, now every believer is promised the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have God living in us. He's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And this is a new relationship that has taken place. Also, before the Jews were God's chosen people that God loved and that God set apart for himself, they had duties and responsibilities, but they are, they're different now in the church. Not only are they to be an attractional force, now they're to be a missional force. Now these believers are to go out and to proclaim the gospel. But it's even more than that. They are to the things that they had learned, the teaching, the understanding, the realities, the eternal truths that matters for life here and that matters for eternity, they're to take those things and they're to invest them, talk about them and invest them in the lives of other people. And so what we have here now is really more so than a nation. We have a family, a family that's born, a family that's born of the Spirit of God, a family that's indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And how is this for a definition of a family. Now the full number, this is verse 32 and 33, the full number of those who believed, these are those who had come to Christ in repentance and faith, those who had listened to the message and responded, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. I'm talking about unity, unity like never before. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We'll come back to that word common in just a moment. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And this is the phrase I want us to kind of take off for our first point. And I hope you take notes or at least jot things down as, as, as they become meaningful to you as we go through this study. The next phrase is, and great grace was upon them all. Now, it was upon them as a church. It was upon them as a body of believers. And as a church and as a church family, I want us to recognize that we are to rejoice in God's great grace upon us. God has been gracious to us, amen? I mean, it's Mother's Day. For many of us, one of the greatest blessings of our life is the moms that he's given to us. Now, I know that's not true in every circumstance because of the sinfulness of man, because of of the rebellion of individual hearts. And I know that there are some certain circumstances where, where that may not be true. But I want to tell you that in God's design... And in God's development of his plan, in his creation of a man and a woman and bringing them together, complementing one another in their design and in their roles and in their responsibilities. I've got to tell you just personally, one of the greatest blessings has been not only to have a mother who loved me and that cared for me and that provided for me, but to marry a woman who is a wonderful mother. She's a tremendous mom and how she raised our kids. Uh, and of course, now she's really working hard at being a good nana too and uh, that's kind of our it's kind of our reward for surviving our children but we we are uh, we're enjoying the blessings but it is a great i mean now granted i want you to understand that there are great graces and when we talk about grace a lot of times when you read this passage and you see and great grace was upon them all you think well people liked them they were in favor and we saw in acts chapter 2 that indeed this new church had favor with all the people. They were looked upon favorably. But that's not what this text is about. This text is about the grace of God that was poured out upon them. We saw this in their prayer time. We saw this how they they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the room was shaken. There are so many expressions of God's grace, but in this text, it says all those who believed. And so I want to just point out a few things really quick. They experienced the grace of salvation. These were people who had been chosen. These were people who had been drawn by the Holy Spirit. These were people who had been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Can you imagine what it must have been like in Jerusalem in those days? And again, I know that we're not, a lot of us, into history and not into ancient archaeology and things like that. But it was part of Jewish worship that there were baptismal pools around. There were these ceremonial washings that would take place. And so they weren't just in the temple and it wasn't just one. But they were in different places. And, of course, there were several in the temple. But can you imagine 3,000 baptized after the first sermon? Somewhere around maybe 5,000 who believed going through this process of being baptized. And all of this is taking place. This, this mighty moving that is happening as a testimony to the city of the grace that they experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in his greeting to the church at Galatia, writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace to you and peace. Grace and peace is certainly a greeting, but it's a greeting rife with meaning. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forevermore. And so we have the grace, you and I, We experience the grace of being born again, of being forgiven, of being part of the family of God, of having our name written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Praise the Lord for his grace.
There's another aspect of grace, I think, that is evident in that, in those who believed, and that we've seen kind of as we've gone through these chapters. Not overt in the text, but I want to point it out. And it is the grace of God's presence. We don't live trying to find a God we can't find. We don't live struggling to know a God who's hiding from us. As his children, we live in the presence of God. Recently, Suzanne and I went to see some friends, or with some friends, to see their daughter play soccer. And while we were sitting there in the stands, um, it's the Gray family. Caroline was on the field. But Kennedy came and sat beside me, and Kennedy's about nine years old. And we were sitting there, and we were talking. Uh, let me Specifically, she was talking. I was doing a lot of listening on that day. Uh, but we talked about books that we were reading and that we had read. And as she was talking, we talked, started talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Are you guys familiar with C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia? We have some familiarity. My favorite book in that series is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Now, for those of you who may not know, this is written for younger readers by C.S. Lewis. It is, in many ways, an analogy. It's a beautiful series of stories. The third book in the series that originally purchased, as originally published, was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And you have Prince Caspian, or King Caspian. You have Reaper Cheap. You have Drinian, the captain. You also have Lucy, who we met in The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, and her brother Edmund but you also have their kind of obnoxious cousin Eustace who goes through a transformation event but there's one of these episodes they kind of go from adventure to adventure the dawn treader is the ship they go from adventure to adventure and on one leg of the journey the clouds begin to gather around them and it gets darker and it gets darker and it gets the waves toss all of a sudden they can hear what sounds like whispering and what sounds like movement, what sounds like even groaning and different things. Scary sounds. Everyone is scared. And Lucy is standing on the deck. And she cries out to Aslan. Now, Aslan is Aslan the lion. He is the representative of Christ in these books. And here's what it says in the book. She cries out and she says, Aslan, Aslan, if you ever loved us, send us help now. Now, there are a lot of, a lot of things that that you could draw from this example. This was a slowly overtaking darkness. It just got worse and worse and worse. It got so that they they couldn't see anything and it was a very oppressive thing that was taking place. But what's interesting in the story and what Lewis masterfully says, he says the darkness, when she cried out to Aslan, did not grow any less. And yet she began to feel a little, he says, a very little, better. And then she ends up saying, after all, nothing's really happened to us yet. I mean, we're still here. Yeah, it's scary. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are dangers to the right and to the left. Yes, there is affliction and there is a lack of comfort. But you know what? She drew comfort from the fact that she was still there, that they were still going. And then a bird comes. You guys remember the story? A white bird, a dove, comes in a... It sends a small light, just little light in the darkness, and it lights up the mast of the ship, and the cross shadow falls on the ship, so there's an outline of a cross. There's this Christ, this sense of Christ's presence. And this bird flies up and whispers to Lucy, and he sells her courage, dear heart. And she says it was the voice of Aslan, saying, Take courage. Now, 
It's not getting any lighter, at least not at first. It's dark, it's stormy, but she finds comfort in the fact that, as Christ has told us, fear not, I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, later on in the voyage, in a very short period of time, the darkness turns to grayness, and the grayness into sunlight. And everybody realizes at that point that there was really nothing to have been afraid of after all. And there never had been. They experience, or is an illustration of us, when we go through life and we have troubles and trials and situations, we know that we're going to. When we're persecuted, remember what happened to Peter and John that we just read earlier in this same chapter? That we're not alone. We have the grace of the presence of God. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. You ever been? I don't know if you guys... I, I'm going to be a little testimonial here, okay? I got a great mom. I love her with all my heart. I have a twin brother. I like him too. He's, he's pretty cool. I have a sister that's 14 months older and a sister that's five months younger. I remember as a child one time of being absolutely terrified. We lived in South Mississippi and we had gone up to Jackson and we went to the zoo in Jackson, Mississippi. And as kids are wont to do, I wandered off. Looking at this and looking at that, looking at this and looking at that. And all of a sudden I looked around and my family was not around me. They had gone on to the next thing. You guys ever been in that situation? Or can you relate to that at all? And I felt alone and I felt scared and I wasn't sure what to do. And I started calling out for my mom. And it's interesting in that situation I didn't call out dad. And I didn't call out Mark. I didn't call out Melissa, and I didn't call out M- Millicent. I called out, Mom! Mom! Where are you, Mom? And I was in some distress. And then I saw my brother. And I waved my hand, and he waved his back, and then I got close, and it was a mirror. I'm a twin. It wasn't my brother at all. It was me thinking it was him. And I, my, my hopes went from yay to, oh, man. I am completely lost. And then all of a sudden, just kind of, to me, obviously, out of the blue, my mom reaches out and grabs my hand. Now, I, want, I, I wish I could tell you just, it was a reassuring touch, but it was one of those, where did, did you get off to? <laughs> but let me tell you something. I was secure. She wasn't letting go of me. I was held firmly. And some of us need to just be reminded of the grace of a God who's going to hold us firmly. Even when it seems we can't see Him or hear from Him. We have the grace of salvation. We have the grace of the presence of God. We have the grace of God's Word. This passage says that the disciples were continually telling the testimony of God's resurrection, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2, this isn't just... Two paragraphs they repeated over and over again. This was the whole teaching. You remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had been teaching them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. You remember prior to that, for years, month after month after month after month, they had followed Christ around and they knew Him. What do you think they were teaching? They were teaching all that they had learned. You and I have the grace of God's Word. Ancient words, ever true. Changing me, changing you. God's Word written, God's Word preserved, God's Word that is living and active and powerful. And i got to tell you, I think so many times we just, 
we lose the sense of the vitality of how essential it is for us to be people of the words. Why do you think we talk about daily Bible reading all the time? I want you in the Word of God. I want you to see, because the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, He's your God. He's my God. The God who promised the Messiah and delivered on that promise, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who then ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, that God we study about from 2,000 years ago to 4,000 years ago to 6,000 years ago, that's your God and that's my God. And the words that were true then are the words that are true now. And a lot of times, we don't know how to respond or how to react or what the next step is. And it's simply because we haven't asked and we haven't sought the answer. I believe one of the, one of the joys of Matthew chapter 7 that maybe not applied enough is that when he says, Ask, seek, and knock. You guys remember that? Matthew chapter 7, 7. I, I, part of seeking is seeking God in His Word. Part of asking is approaching God in His Word, in prayer, and saying, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me understand? What would you have me know? What would you have me be? And so we have the blessing of the eternal Word of God. And then, of course, in, in verse 32, where it says they had all things, or 33, where it says they had all things in common. That word in common is the word koinonia. Anybody familiar with the word koinonia? Koine Greek, koinos, partners in business. It is the word that we sometimes interpret fellowship. Uh, but it literally means to have things in common. It means to have shared things. And so, once you, and that's how it's most often interpreted in the New Testament. Fellowship, or having things in common, sharing life together. They were made a part of a family. Um, it is appropriate on Mother's Day for us to express our appreciation for how our moms do this. Not only on Mother's Day every day, but to make sure that we don't take them for granted. And I want to just tell you, typically, that mothers do things for you nobody else will. You can write that one down. Uh, they rearrange their lives around you. I had one new mom, probably, I don't know, a year or two years into raising a child, said, I didn't realize I was selfish until I had a baby. And then I realized how much of my life gets put into a child. And how they rearrange their lives around the child. We are recipients of great grace. We're saved, we're kept, we're taught, we're joined together. And as a family, I want you to, the, kind of the point of this passage, one of the central points, is that God's family's needs are met. And so put that in your outline if you're taking notes. The second point, you need to recognize that God's family's needs are met. Now I know that's an awkward English construction, but the grammar's okay. I checked it. God's family. The needs of that family are met. How are they met? Well, they're met, first of all, by the province and the care of a loving God. A God who cares for you. A God who clothes you. David said in Psalm, in the Psalms, he said, I've never seen, he said, I was young and now I'm old. And in all those years of being young and old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their seed, their descendants, begging for bread. And that whole psalm is about the, the, the grace of God that is poured out upon His people. This passage in verse 34 and 35 of uh, Acts 4 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now let me, uh, <coughs> let me make a political statement here. This is not communism, and this is not some sort of government-imposed redistribution of wealth. That is antithetical to Scripture. 
What this is, is the people of God recognizing some key factors. First of all, everything that we have belongs to God. I belong to God. My hopes and my dreams belong to God. If you believe and you've surrendered your life to Christ, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And the Bible declares all the way from creation, it's His by creation, it's His by providence, it's His by sovereignty. Everything, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. There's nothing out here that doesn't belong to God. But as His children, we acknowledge this and we yield before it. And we have the whole biblical doctrine of stewardship, which means that I don't own the things I own. They have been gifted to me. They have been lent to me. They have been handed to me for me to manage on behalf of the one who owns me. And on behalf of the one who owns all things. And that is so evident in this passage of scripture. They had things in common. This was God's people voluntarily recognizing stewardship and meeting one another's needs. And it's placing at God's disposal all that we have. And recognizing that it is even God that gives us the ability to acquire wealth. Now, there's a very practical aspect here. Really quick. The church was launched at Pentecost. There were Jews from all around the world, known world at that time, who had come in. There's a listing of 11 countries, places that, that where people came and they gathered together in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they heard the sermon and they responded. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. They were saved. They were made new. And they were from all over the place. And when they got saved, they stayed right there. All of a sudden, it's like they didn't want to go back home. And many of them had no place to live. They were staying in people's houses. They had come on a sojourn. And now there's no church back home to go to. There's no place to get taught about Jesus and his resurrection back where they came from. This is it. This is the only, only New Testament church in the whole world right here in Jerusalem. And many of them relocated. Matter of fact, they established it kind of as a, a bulkhead for the gospel. We'll get, we'll get into that later when we get to chapter 9, 10, 11 of, of the book of Acts. But there were great needs. And of course you had people who had wealth. And of course you had people who had no wealth, no supplies. And so there were needs that needed to be met. And these people willingly met one another's needs. Now, as a church, we have the same privilege. We have the same responsibility. Can this be abused in the, in the local church? I want to tell you it can. As a matter of fact, it was abused very quickly in the, in the church at Thessalonica. When Paul's writing his second letter to the church at Thessalonica, it's called Second Thessalonians. In chapter 3, he talks about people who would take advantage of the kindness of God's people. Here's what he says in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. He said, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away, watch out for, don't fall after the example of, identify, Any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accordance with the tradition that you have received from us. For you saw us, how you ought to imitate us. We weren't idle when we were with you, and we didn't eat anyone's bread that we didn't pay for. We worked, we toiled and labored night and day in order not to be a burden to any of you. And it was not because we didn't have that right. We could have asked you to feed us. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. We wanted to show you how to live for even when we were with you we would give you this command you heard us say it before if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work but busy bodies now such persons we 
command and encouraging the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. And he goes on at the end of this chapter to say, now don't treat them like an enemy, treat them like a brother. Don't treat them like an enemy. It's not that you draw a line and say you're out of here, but this is to say there's some discipleship that needs to take place here. There's some correction that needs to take place here. There's some training that needs to take place here, which is what Paul's doing in this letter and what he's encouraging them to do. And so this is not taking advantage, but I want to talk to us just for a minute. Brothers and sisters under the headship of Christ, we have this great privilege to invest God's resources in each other. Sometimes people need food, and that's a no-brainer. You need to feed people who need food. Amen? What do you feed them, by the way? Pop-tarts? What do you feed them? Because I do know of one food pantry at a church in Mississippi that stocked up heavy on Pop-tarts because they said, at least they won't starve. But I got to tell you, you can die from Pop-tarts if that's all you're eating, okay? You need more than Pop-tarts. And so there's got to be a bar above just sustenance. But there are people who need food, they need to be fed. Amen? There are people who need clothes, they need to be clothed. Amen? We're good with that. I think we're okay there. But we need to make sure that we don't stop at the lowest common denominator. That we care enough about each other that we're willing to say, I'm not just going to give you my cast-offs. I'm not going to give you just what I don't want anymore, what I don't need anymore, to meet a legitimate need. I want you to understand, to meet legitimate needs, to encourage someone in their walk to be used by God to provide for people. But I think sometimes we love our stuff too much. And rather than us possessing our possessions, they possess us. And so we draw barriers around what we are willing and are not willing to release for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to tell you that you need to do this under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You need to do this with wisdom. There is such a thing as toxic charity. You guys have heard that phrase before. We've used it here. There is such a thing as toxic charity where you say, well, just I see a need. I'm just going to throw some cash at it. Sometimes people need to be heard and they need someone who's willing to listen to them talk. Not somebody who's just talking at them. You guys ever just been talked at? Not somebody who's just saying, hey, listen, I understand you got a problem. Now here's blah, 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 and going down through the list. And by the way, sometimes those are good lists, and this is me, I do that. Okay, I'm just a little confessional here. But sometimes people just need to be heard so that they can be understood. And being understood, not their service needs, but their real needs can be addressed. And that may require sacrifice on your part. Investing in one another's lives. Sometimes people need to, to need financial aid, emergency and immediate. We're grateful for the alms offering that we take here. And I, I got to tell you, we've had opportunity this week to invest in the lives of a family in the West End of Greenville to help meet a need. Sometimes the need is material possession. Sometimes the need is a friend, an ear, someone you can call. Sometimes the need is training or equipping in what God's Word has to say about money, what God's Word has to say about relationships, what God's Word has to say about how you live your time, uh, how you spend your time, about like we just read about not being idle. But i got to tell you, this selflessness that you see, this this was a glorious time. They were in one heart and one soul. They were united together and they were meeting one another's needs. But it's not very long until... John, 
the apostle has to write and remind them that they need to be meeting one another's needs. That James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, has to remind them that faith without works is dead. And if you just say, be filled and be clothed, it's not working. And so they have to be reminded of the goodness of God. And so we have, as a church, to rejoice in God's grace upon us and to trust in God that His needs are met, being used to meet those needs. But also, next we have an example that's in this passage of Scripture. Now, I will tell you, I do think that this is an example that we will see again. We'll come back and refer to it when we look at Acts chapter 5. Because Acts chapter 5 starts in a very scary manner. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we need to look at it and understand it. But here we have the example of Joseph. Thus Joseph, verse 36, was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite of the tribe of Levi. He was a Cyprian, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so the exhortation for us, and this is kind of the application for us as the church, is that we need to make sure that we are contributing to the unity and the strength of the body. We need to make sure that we are contributing to the unity and the strength of the body of Christ. Barnabas, his name is Joseph. They called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas, son, bar, Hebrew, nabi, prophet, the one who would speak the word of God. Because not only was he described as one who would sell his land, bring it, and you, that it might be used to meet the needs of brothers and sisters in this church in Jerusalem. But because as we see, as we go through the book of Acts, he's one who speaks the word of God into the lives of people. He's a missionary with Paul. He's the one who represents Paul before the disciples. And then when he's sent to Antioch, goes and gets Paul to help him and brings him back to Antioch. He's the one when they go on this first missionary journey. We always hear about Paul the preacher, and I don't want to underestimate that. That was Paul's mission and Paul's calling. But who went with him? Who made sure he got where he was going? Who brought John Mark along with him and then tried to rescue John Mark when John Mark had to struggle with the... It it is Barnabas, the one who is always speaking encouragement into the life of someone else. You and I need to make sure that we have the same spirit of Barnabas. I'll, I'll close. I'll close. But it is a great blessing to be part of the family of God. It is a great blessing there are many times in my life and have been even in this last week where I've been able to share a need or a concern either mine or one of my families with you as a whole or with a couple of you or with three of you or with four of you And to hear you say, and then follow up, I will pray for you. How can I pray for you? How can I come alongside of you? And you pray. Sometimes right there, out loud, with me. Thank you. Sometimes you say, I will pray for you, and I trust you. I know that when you are in your prayer time, the Lord brings me or brings mine to your family. And you will raise them to the throne of grace. There is no greater service that you can give than that you pray for me. I trust you to do so. And if you don't, I'm going to pray God keeps you awake till you do. But I'm glad that you pray for me. I'm glad that you pray for my family and the needs of my family. 
Because we have a God who meets his family's needs. And he does it through the faithfulness of his children to one another. I want you to know something. We have something as the church of God. Great grace was upon them. We have great grace upon us. I hope you know as part of this family of faith. Now we are not perfect. And we're going to see in the next chapter, in the next few verses, they weren't either. There were those, <laughs> there were those who had some pretty serious problems and faced some pretty serious consequences. And we are not perfect and every church has its warts, every church has its struggles, every church has its strengths, and every church has its weaknesses. And this is not some sort of blanket statement excusing our failures. But I'm going to tell you that there is great grace upon the family of God because we have a Father who loves us and cares for us and meets our need and corrects us and disciplines us and trains us and equips us and provides for us and is our perfect heavenly parent. And He knits our hearts together so that we can meet one another's needs. And I hope you know as part of this church, when you have a need, regardless, you get to share that. You get to share it. Not only the request, you get to share the burden with people. And so I'm going to ask you as an application for this church, particularly over the month of May. There's a lot going on in May. A lot going on in May. But particularly over the month of May, I'm going to ask that you ask God to show you whose life you can deeper connect with. Who should you call? Now, if you're sitting there and you come at the end of May and you say, well, nobody called me. Well, let me just say, don't do that to me. Because the question is not who's going to call you. The question is who are you going to call? Who are you going to visit? Who are you going to start and just... Look around. Just look around. Who are you going to start saying, I just want to keep in touch. I want God to reveal to me how I can strengthen the unity and be used to deepen the relationships in this congregation. We have, we have, this is, this is not about membership or not membership. This is about relationships. This is about connectedness. This is about how God's designed us to be as a family of faith. Amen? What a blessing to be a part of the family of God. The application is, let's work together to strengthen the unity and the strength, the mission, the witness, the work of God's church together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family. Thank you for the many blessings that you pour upon us upon us and that we like they get to experience the great grace of God I pray father that this day will be a good day that you will use this as an opportunity to make us aware of people around us that we can love like David uh, like Dave shared earlier in this service uh, that that we like a quilt will be knit together that we will be though diverse and different and different parts will be joined together as described in Acts chapter 4, in one heart and in one soul. We have the same mind. We have the same direction. We are walking the same path. Help us to be concerned with one another's needs. To in honor prefer 
one another. Romans chapter 12. To humble ourselves. Seeking the highest good for one another. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. I pray, Father, that you will just make these truths real in our lives. And that ultimately, that those who don't have this experience will notice it and will see it as a witness and a testimony and as an opportunity for us to verbally bear witness of the grace of God. By this shall the world who does not know you know that we are yours, that we're your disciples, that we're your family. By this being the love that we have one for another. In your name I pray. Amen. 